Hey, midlifers, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce hangover, job burnout, or you just have the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy, your hostess of the Midlife Mostess. I too was hit by midlife like a freight train. I too felt stuck in the same dull chapter. I wanted the clarity of how to create a new life beyond divorce and the courage to leave an unfulfilling career. But I kept telling myself that I wasn't worthy and it was just easier to stay in my comfort zone until I found a little secret, the freedom to live my life my way. In this podcast, you will learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body, how to create solid relationships through love and loss, and how to create an awesome second half of life. Grab your grande latte, pop in your earbuds, and let's get this midlife party started. Lisa Ziderman, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. I am beyond excited to have you here because as I shared with you, this is a great topic. It's a hot topic right now. Fortunately, unfortunately, I'm not sure. Matter of fact, the last four interviews I've had have all been divorce attorneys. (laughs) It seems to be really a big thing. But one thing I love, and we're going to talk more about this. One thing I love that you're doing is that you're bringing light to what sometimes people feel is such a dark subject. And having been through divorce twice myself, I know how difficult it can be, but I also know how great it can be if you get the right knowledge and the tools that you need to get through it. So I am so excited to share everyone, share with everyone with you. Okay. (laughs) Welcome to the show and tell everyone a little bit about what you do and why you do what you do. Sure. So um, first of all, thank you so much, Wendy, for having me on the show. It's um, it's a pleasure. And um, I think we'll have a really fun discussion and hopefully enlightening to your listeners. So I am managing partner of a law firm, Miller Ziderman, and it has offices located in Manhattan and in Westchester County. We are 40 person or so firm with about 20 very, very good attorneys. And we do what we do because many of us have either been through the divorce ourselves or have had family members, et cetera, um, who have gone through it. And we understand how stressful it can be. And we're there to help people get to the other side of this. And I think that we really want to be helpful and service our client um, and make sure that they understand the process that they're going through. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting. I have a friend that's going through a divorce right now and had gotten an attorney and kind of felt like I'm just another case, another stack of papers on the desk. So I think, again, it's so great that you're you're making it. It's like, okay, the client is important. This couple is important. The, the children that are involved are important. It's not just another case. And I feel like even with a little bit that I read about you, that you're really preparing them and in answering questions of questions they probably didn't even know that they had about divorce. Look, I think one of the things that I think separates us out from a lot of other um, attorneys slash firms is that we try to be, and sometimes it's brutally honest 
And I will say that um, from the beginning, from the very first consultation um, until the end, we are really informative and um, give people the expectation, um, the, the realistic expectation of what they um, should get or could get, et cetera, when they're done. And I think what really unnerves people as they're going through their divorce is when their expectations are different from a reality of what their expectations should be. So, you know, I often see in the courtroom or even in the court hallways, we've already um, explained to our client what the parameters are going to be, right? Um, You're either going to get X through X and or this is the realistic custody schedule that could happen. Um, Maybe you'll get a little more here. Maybe you'll get a little less here. But this is basically where you are. It is unusual for clients to be therefore surprised when a judge says, this is what I really think is going to happen, or this is what I recommend. And yet we'll see attorneys on the other side of our cases, their adversaries, having to spend hour after hour explaining to their clients what our client already understands. And yes. I think that that's a very big difference, right? So my my conversation after I come out with the judge could be 15 minutes in the hallway, and the other side is there for like an hour and a half. And it happened actually yesterday when we were there. I, I just could not believe it. So. It, it's not that difficult. You you kind of, if you read the case law and you understand, um, you know, a, a judge's thought process to some degree, which of course you can never really understand because every judge is different and, you know, and a judge is a human being also and an individual with real emotions too. But I think that, that you have to be realistic with your client and honest. Yeah. And I love the proactive approach to it. From, from your side and then also teaching the client to be more proactive instead of reactive, right? Because then it's the, it is the couple that's out in the hallway for an hour later going, wait, what? And if I'd known that I would have done this or said this or <laughs> like, exactly. then you can't go back. And then you're just really trying to play catch up and then it just doesn't work. So I think that's great. And and I feel too uh, interesting, like the the interview I had last week, it was more um, a lot about like the peaceful divorce. And I think about myself, I'll use myself as the guinea pig here, but I went into, I was like, I want a really nice peaceful divorce. And it was at the same time, I did not educate myself more on the things like um, the finances and having a business together and what is really mine and what is really his. And so that too, like you have the emotional piece, as you know, of the divorce and you got the financial piece of the divorce and you've got your past, present and future all wrapped up into the whole thing, (laughs) which can be a little overwhelming. So what do you feel are some of the biggest mistakes people make before they even go, hi, I want a divorce. So I I think that some people make the mistake of believing that they can actually do it themselves or, um, and negotiate it themselves. I think that that is certainly a mistake for most people because usually in a couple's relationship, there is a dynamic of one person understanding the finances better and one person understanding the finances less. I think it's pretty rare although it happens, that both parties in a marriage understand the finances in a um, on an equal playing field. And so I think even couples who even try this through mediation, if there is one spouse who is more knowledgeable about the finances than the other, then I think you should be 
retaining an attorney. I don't think these are conversations that you really want to have by yourself or even in mediation, frankly. And I say that because you have to advocate for yourself in mediation in order for it to be successful. And if you don't have the understanding of the financial issues, you really can't do that. And so, you know, I, I think that that doesn't mean that you can't mediate eventually or you can't mediate some issues, but it does mean that you should have a strong advocate. And I think sometimes people believe that it's going to be the peaceful divorce. And mm-hmm. maybe it could be the peaceful divorce if you just want to agree to everything. But right. if you actually question and, and need information and need to be able to get essentially your fair share of what is out there, then you need to understand the finances. And finances and divorce are not that simplistic usually. Right. It, it's certainly not the cases that we deal with. We we tend to deal with complex custodial issues and complex um, financial issues. And so, you know, you need to understand what the tax returns actually mean. You need to understand what the restricted stock units, whether they are incentively granted or are they for past performance? Uh, you know, there is a, a a whole breadth of information. You need to understand the tax issues that may mm-hmm. you may encounter. Um including capital gains issues and what that might mean and whether you should be keeping a house or not keeping a house. Um, I also think that that the other mistake that people um, that people encounter is that they tend to use one person inappropriately, a professional inappropriately while they're going through the divorce. So mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? I think that when you have a therapist, that therapist should be there for your feelings you know, your, um, how you're expressing yourself, et cetera, but your attorney becomes your advocate in terms of the divorce. I think yeah. on the other hand, your attorney should not be used as your therapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't care, but you're, you are so right because you have to keep in some ways it's like, yes, there, the emotions are there, but also that has to be kept out of it so that you can really focus and go, okay, we got to do A, B, and C and exactly. go talk to your therapist. <laughs> I totally agree. I, exactly. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that the other um, thing that we see that people do um, sometimes, which is questionable is when they need mental health um, support, they tend mm-hmm. to not get it. Um, because they were afraid of how that will actually um, play into the divorce and may bite them. The fact is that if you don't get the help that you need, it can bite you much, much, much more severely, right? Because if you're compliant and you're on, um, you know, you're seeing your therapist and if you're getting the right um, treatment, et cetera, including medication if necessary, then that would be the better thing to do as, a, as opposed to having, you know, full on um, panic attacks or um, going into bipolar episodes or any of that, like yeah. make sure that you are actually controlling your mental health instead of your mental health right. controlling you. And yeah. right. So that is certainly um, an area that I see people hesitate about doing things that would be good for them to do good for their children um, mm-hmm. and good for their divorce action, frankly. So yeah, very, very well said. Yeah. Yeah, very well said. And I think that's so important going into the divorce is that you really do, you make that a priority, make yourself a priority 
And because, yeah, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You're going to a therapist and you just actually heal a little bit during the process, like instead of waiting until after, which most people do like, oh, my gosh. And they have kind of that divorce aftershock, if you will. Exactly. So question for you involved, like as far as children, one of the things and again, I'll use myself as an example (laughs) when it comes to health and let's say uh, the spouse is like. Uh, I want my children to be vaccinated. And the other person's going, no, I don't want them to be vaccinated. What happens? So, you know, this is an article that I wrote way before the cases were coming down. Because Mm -hmm. one night I was sitting there and saying, I know that just like ADHD medication and just like um, so many other issues that come up, right, that this Mm -hmm. is going to be a hotbed issue. And I have to say that I did, I, even though I don't have the crystal ball, mine is dark, I actually, <laughs> I actually was able to foresee the future. And what I said in that article, and which turned out to be correct, according to the decisions, is that the court is not going to decide whether or not your child gets a vaccine. The court is going to decide which parent should make the decision. If you disagree Ah. about whether your child should get the vaccine. Now, how does the court do that? Well, in most cases, the court is going to look at which parent is most likely to be following the pediatrician's advice on this particular Mm -hmm. issue. And I think that that's the thing that people need to realize as they're going through a divorce is that they need to actually um, follow the recommendations of the professional's that they have actually agreed upon, unless there is some reason that you think it's not in your child's best interest and really can show that. So if your pediatrician is recommending that your child get a vaccine, well, likely the court's going to actually go along with a parent who actually is advocating for your child to get that vaccine, right? Mm. And that is, I think the um, I, I find it surprising that people can't put that together, but but normally they cannot. Yeah. And we have had more of those cases than you can imagine. And Ooh. it's such a simplistic issue. If your re- pediatrician is recommending it, is the court going to choose the parent who is going to actually agree with the pediatrician? Likely, yes. Yes. Yeah, that can be tough, I'm sure. I was just thinking too, you know, it's great that you're covering so many different areas and that you're educating them on that. Because I, I feel a lot of people, they they'll go into divorce and they get so overwhelmed. Many of them get so overwhelmed and so terrified of it, of what could happen. They're like, I'm just going to stay in this marriage, this crappy marriage. (laughs) I'm not happy, but I'd rather stay in this crappy marriage than go through a crappy divorce. So I think it's great that you are making it like, you know what? This is all possible. We just have to do X, Y, and Z and we'll get get you to the other side. You know, I think what I see most um, are parents who, um, and I can understand this. So parents who have decided that they're not going to divorce um, because their children are yet not in, you know, going off to college or out of the house. And they are, um, basically so fearful of having to leave the other parent with the child if they feel that that parent is not equipped to take care of the child, that they will stay in the marriage. Um, we see that a lot. We also see 
um, you know, parents who don't want to spend essentially a night away from their children. And so they stay in the marriage because they believe that that's better too. Um, and at least they're going to be with their children. The problem, mm. of course, and, and I see this sometimes when I meet with the children and I'm sometimes um, appointed as an attorney for children. And I mm. see that the children themselves knew the divorce was coming. Yeah. The children heard the arguing or the silence for that matter. And they were uncomfortable and they mm -hmm. were thinking to themselves, why haven't my parents decided to live on their own? My friend, so-and-so, their parents live, you know, separately and are divorced. And this other, you know, child is on this schedule, et cetera. And they, you know, I, I think that the question becomes, and I'm not, I, this I am not qualified to answer for sure, is whether it is really best to leave your child in a situation where within the household, one parent right. is being abused or one parent mm -hmm. is abusing or drinking mm -hmm. or um, et cetera to excess. Right. Um, that's the question, right? Right. Exactly. It, whether it's more toxic staying together or more toxic with them being apart and, and letting the child. And, and I think too, it's, it's a great opportunity to teach a child that relationships do, you know, they can, they evolve into something else. It doesn't necessarily mean like, okay, they'll always be your mom and dad, but the family itself is changed and that's okay. Like it's teaching children that life changes, relationships change so that at some point in their life, when, you know, they have their teenage love and it, they break up, you know, then it's not going to be like, oh my gosh, like, oh, well, this is normal. This is life. It's relationships and not everything stays together in this perfect little box all the time. Exactly. So I know for me personally, like I had to, there's a lot of that guilt. I think that comes on like after the divorce, like, oh my gosh, I've ruined my children's lives. And, and then I thought, you know, one day for me, I thought, you know what, this is their journey. This is, this is something I can't carry any, if they're frustrated about it and as much as you talk about it, or if that's something that they have to deal with on their own. 100%. And, and I think. Yeah. And I think it's just best just to make the best of it for, for everybody. Uh, that is a hundred percent true. I, I don't disagree with you at all about that. And I think that that's really yeah. um, the point. Um, and I understand that, you know, if there are abuse issues, if there are um, addiction issues, et cetera, then you need to put proper precautions in place um, with, you know, and you may have to do that through the court system and the court system isn't perfect. Um, uh, you know, it, sometimes it, they get it right. And sometimes, frankly, they get it wrong. Um, yeah. but you know, you, you can do only what you can do and you, you have to just try your best. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I, I find too, that it's great what you discover about yourself and about life when the whole thing is said and done. I, I, I think, and you know, you still have sometimes those aftershocks after a divorce. Yes. There's still that, you know, even though you sign on the line, the healing isn't like, Oh, we're all done here. Good to go. I can just move on and live my life. There's still a lot of work to be done, but getting that chunk of it out of the way really does set your life up and open up so many doors for people. I think that's correct. Yeah. Hence the midlife makeover. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
Exactly. You know, <laughs> I, in, in thinking about the midlife makeover, I mean, I think one mm-hmm. of the things that um, people need to understand is that they need to prepare for that, right? Um, that, and I, and I say this um, because I think that many people who are out of the workforce, um, because they have decided that they're going to be the primary caretaker of the family, the children, I think that that is a thought that um, is difficult when it comes to divorce, because I think those, those people are often disadvantaged because they actually lost so much time in the workforce that really can't be made up. It can't be made up in assets um, and it can't be made up in um, spousal support necessarily because the fact is that when you're out of the workforce for this many years, right, you haven't been able to scale up. And so, you know, your spouse may be earning a very high income and it may take you so much longer to get there and it may be actually an impossibility. And so I think that, I think people generally have to think about that when they decide if they're going to stay home and care for the family. And perhaps Mm. before doing that, they need to figure out contractually, either in a prenup or in a postnuptial agreement, how that's going to work out for them at the end, if if there is an end. And negotiate that prior to when everybody is, you know, on board. So often I hear um, a client say, well, we both agreed that I was going to stay home. Okay, great. And that would have been a wonderful time to actually draw up that post-up or that prenuptial agreement and for everybody to sign on the guideline and say, okay, but in the event of a divorce, this is what's going to happen to make up for all of those years that you're out of the workforce because I want that too, you want that. And so let's monetize that. That is such great advice. No, let me ask you something. Does Sometimes if that gets brought up in a marriage, like, oh, are, are we planning on divorcing? So do people avoid not doing those things because then it's so emotional? Uh, so I think people avoid doing those things because, A, they want to think that everything is always going to be great, and maybe it will be. Um, mm-hmm. B, it's very hard for some couples to talk about money. And mm-hmm. I think money um, becomes a taboo issue in some households. And to actually monetize the idea of staying home with your children or helping your spouse, I think, um, is is in some ways um, difficult for people to think about and certainly to discuss. But the reality is that divorce does happen and that you don't want to be on that shorter end of the stick when it happens. And the fact that you all agreed at some point is very nice, but really won't hold much weight later. And, mm-hmm. you know, if everybody really isn't on board or needs to rethink the notion of what that means for one person to be staying home and caring for the home, the household, and the children, and adding support to the other par- parents' career, then right. there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. And it should be yeah. dealt with up front as opposed to at the end when it's an impossibility to have that discussion. Yeah. I think a lot of the women that approach me, it's they're getting a divorce and they've stayed at home with the kids for the last 20 years. And they're like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm starting from zero. And that can be scary. At the same time, it's kind of cool because you're like, oh, let me get out there and see what I can do. I've the, the nest is empty. It's it's now it's me time. So it's 
it is good though. I, I feel to educate yourself as much as possible, be proactive going through the divorce and as much as possible, try to stay positive through it, knowing that it, it, it can all be, it can be peaceful. It, it can be peaceful. I, I think that mm-hmm. um, it can definitely be peaceful and you can definitely get through it. And frankly, even when it's not peaceful, you can get through it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Lisa, this has been so awesome. I, I literally could probably talk about this for hours. <laughs> Maybe I'll come back in my next lifetime and I'll be a divorce attorney. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then you, right, well, tell exactly. us where we can find you. Sure. So um, you can find me on my blog, which is lisaziderman.com. L-I-S-A-Z-E-I-G is in David, E-R-M-A-N.com. Um, you can find me at my email, which is lz at mzw-law.com. Um, you can also um, call, which is 914-455-1000. Nice. So many ways to connect. Exactly. I love it. Thank you so much. And uh, happy divorcing, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much, Wendy. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Did this podcast inspire you, challenge you, trigger you to make a change or spit out your coffee laughing? Good. Then there are three ways you can thank me. Number one, you can leave a written review of this podcast on Apple iTunes. Number two, you can take a screenshot of the episode and share it on the social media and tag me, Wendy Valentine. Number three, Share it with another midlifer that needs a makeover. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Get out there and be bold, be free, be you.